You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry, turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper, it only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear, Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance. But the Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own hearts and their bows will be broken. It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich, for the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough, but the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like flowers in a field. They will disappear like smoke. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Once I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. The godly always give generous loans to others, and their children are a blessing. Turn from evil and do good, and you will live in the land forever. For the Lord loves justice, and he will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever, but the children of the wicked will die. The godly will possess the land and will live there forever. The godly offer good counsel. They teach right from wrong. They have made God's law their own, so they will never slip from his path. The wicked wait in ambush for the godly, looking for an excuse to kill them. But the Lord will not let the wicked succeed or let the godly be condemned when they are put on trial. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path. He will honor you by giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. I have seen wicked and ruthless people flourishing like tree in its native soil. But when I looked again, they were gone. Though I searched for them, I could not find them. Look at those who are honest and good, for a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. But the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. The Lord rescues the godly. 
He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in Him. We've been in this season where we've, we've been listening to the Psalms literally by hearing the Psalms read first, like we just did. And also, if you have a phone uh, or a tablet, if you've got the Schweitzer app, I don't know if, if you know this, I'd urge you, encourage you, beg you almost, I, I would go so far as to do that, to, to ask you to download the Schweitzer app because our creative team here at Schweitzer made up of, of K.J. Rolke, Taylor Likes, and a bunch of other people that they pulled around them. They have been taking these psalms and putting them to music. And, and fun music, good music, the, the music that you kind of heard in the background for that reading of Psalm 37 is the music that accompanies that psalm and, and how they put it together. And there's some, well, just some wonderful music, I would just say. Um, I grew up kind of like at the, at the end of the Chicago, the band era, you know, and their horns and things like that, they come alive in these, well, not Chicago's, but I mean, Taylor and Kate, they've, they've gone, I don't know if, if they even know that they're doing that, but they're using some horns that is like, there's good stuff for your heart in, in those songs. So um, both musically and then, and then with the words. So I would just encourage you, really uh, take a listen to, to these psalms that we've been going through together. Um, today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 37, the psalm that was just read for us. And there are a few things I'd like to point out before we dive right into the psalm. If you've got a Bible with you, um, or if you, if you tend to read the psalms w- with your Bible, one of the things that is, is there within the text, but we, we've not been putting it up on the screen, and we almost over, always overlook it, when we go with, to the pages of Scripture, is that most of the Psalms have a heading. They have something that introduces them that we almost never read. Psalm 37 in particular says, the heading says, of David. And so we know that David wrote this Psalm, or at least it came from his inspiration. Most likely we think that David wrote this Psalm when he was older. Um, If you go down, it's like verse 24, 25. One of the things that he says there is that when I was young, I thought this way, but now I'm old and I've got something I want to say. So David writes this psalm, and he writes it from a position of, of being an older person, and he has something to say to those who are younger. One of the other things that we note about this psalm, or at least is a footnote that we overlook. Um, The footnote says something like this, that this is an acrostic poem. Each stanza beginning with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, I don't read Hebrew. I don't know, does anybody else in here read Hebrew? Some of you, you, nobody else is willing to raise their hand on that one. Um, When the translation is done from Hebrew into English, the reality that David uses the Hebrew alphabet to put this psalm in order is, is lost on us. We miss that sense of intentionality, that sense of beauty, that sense of artistry that he uses. But imagine if you were writing to to a young person in your life, if you were writing to somebody else and you decided to take the English alphabet, and for every letter of the English alphabet, you were going to write something out. That's what David does. And he does it as as a tool to help us memorize what he's saying better. 
Because there's something that he wants to say here that he wants us to get. And so he uses that tool. I call it a tool of memorizability. I don't know if memorizability is a word, but I think that's, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to memorize, to really hear, take in, and listen what he has to say. The third thing that is, is noted about this psalm, if you go back and you just sort of read through it slowly and, and you take it in, you realize that David is speaking to us. He's speaking to people who are younger than himself. And unlike a number of other psalms, a lot of other psalms may be songs of joy or songs of lament, they tend to be songs that are spoken from a person or for, from a group of people, and they're directed to God. But this psalm falls in what we would call wisdom literature, where it's somebody who's got some life experience. They've seen the world, and they, they take that experience, and they share it with other people around them. And that literature broadly is called wisdom literature within the pages of Scripture and also throughout the known the known world with regard to literature that comes from somebody who's wise to somebody who's, who needs some wisdom along their way. So David has a sense that this psalm is something, it bears something that he wants to give to a group of people, even to us. Last week I was sitting on this front row here, and I think I was in the, in the modern worship service at 940, and I looked up. And I just began to look and observe this stained glass archway, this apex, if you will. And I was just kind of caught up looking at that, taking in the colors, the arrangements of the different glass. And I began to think, like, what is the story that's being told here? I think all of us who take a moment to look at that may come away with a, a different understanding. But as I began to look at that, that stained glass and how it just sort of drapes down over top of us, I began to sense, and, and I may be seeing this wrong, but I began to sense that that is intended to be a story of God's redeeming work in the world. And the different pieces of glass, to me, seem to indicate that there's a lot of rocks, a lot of cracks, a lot of crevices that take up all of creation. And yet God's redeeming work that I, in my own sense, envision taking place at the top, just sort of tumbles down through those crocks and crevices over the course of time and history. And it's meant to connect with us here who sit in this place. And the story of God the story of God that connected with David, the story of God that connected with people that have come before us, inspired some people to do something intentional and beautiful, to build something like this picture right up here and those pictures over there to convey God's story to us and to future generations. And I began to wonder, even as even as I began to intersect with the Psalm of David, and you begin to hear his story. What's the story that I'm going to tell? What's the story that you're going to tell? What's the legacy that we're going to give to somebody who comes behind us? David has a legacy of watching God at work and seeing where 
younger people are at and what they struggle with. And he says, there's some things I want to tell you. Two things I think in pri- are primary to what David wants to convey to us in this psalm. The first thing is this. Don't worry about the wicked or, or depending upon your translation, it may say don't fret or don't fear about what you see happening in the world with regard to the wicked. And the other thing that he wants to say to us is take delight in the Lord. These two elements David puts within the psalm over and over and over in a number of different ways. Let's look at first at do not worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. That's really verse 1. Do not worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. David has the capacity of perspective. And perspective is a really good thing in the world, right? He gets to have all kinds of history that he's lived and he's seen. And so he's got perspective. He's seen things happen in a moment, but he's also seen how history plays itself out over decades. And in some sense, because he's steeped within the story of God, David has the perspective even of eternity, if you will. Where, whereas when you're young or maybe just where you're at in life, we tend to view events as happening moment by moment. I think we, we often have um, a challenge of seeing in the present moment. And sometimes when we look at things in the present moment, we look a little bit like my daughter Kyrie uh, a few years ago. This is a, when I was, I don't know about you, but I tend to read passages or texts with scriptures and then I have images and pictures pop up in my mind. And this was one of the images and pictures that popped up in my mind. When I thought about David's instruction, do not fret, do not fear. This picture was taken when Kyrie was four. We're at the top of the city museum in St. Louis, Missouri. And on the top of that nine or ten story structure, there's this huge slide. And she stood at the bottom and she watched people go to the top of the slide and slide down. She watched as her siblings did it, as her mom and dad did it. And she was not going to be left out. And so from the top and from the bottom, that slide looked like it was everything she wanted to do and be a part of. And then this picture is taken in the middle. And in that moment, she is freaked out. She's wigged out. She did not expect, she did not expect to have that feeling at this spot in her life. Um. It's something for a four-year-old little girl to have that, that picture on her face. But, you know, that sense of fear, that sense of dread, that sense of, oh, no, what in the world have I gotten myself into, isn't something that just can show up on the face of a four-year-old little girl, right? That sense can show up in all of us, that, that spirit that rises up within us when, when the world in which we look at seems like it's careening out of control. And maybe it's just in an exact moment in time. Maybe we don't even take in all of history, but in a a moment, that, that sense is there. David is speaking to somebody younger, and he knows that this this is how they feel. Because what they see is they see 
people around them who are prospering, who are wicked, who are doing things that, that, that the person just doesn't quite understand. And so David has this list. He says to people, he says, uh, you want to go to that list, Randy? He says, you know, you see that there are, are people who are prospering, who, who are intentionally living against the godly. And they plan and they, they surmise ways to, to prosper and to see other people suffer. There are people that, that look and they say, how can, we, how can we profit from those who are poor and those who are weak? And David's like, I know. I've seen it before. Or what about those who seek to take financial advantage of others? Or those who wait in ambush? All of these lines he, he puts in there. David says, I know that these folks exist. They exist in your time. They existed in my time. But David says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. As um, David says these words, I think, I think he really has the capacity to see, if you will, to the point where Jesus will be with his disciples. And he'll be with his disciples in an upper room. And Jesus really summarizes David's understanding when Jesus says, friends, in this world, I know that there's trouble and you'll have trouble. But where David said, do not fret, do not be afraid, Jesus says this, but take heart, take heart, because I've overcome the world. There are challenges that come to us. Sometimes big challenges and sometimes small challenges. And David looks at the world and he, he knows that there are moments when it looks like those who are going to prosper or those who are wicked, those who have evil intentions, it looks like they're going to prosper. He says, fear not. Take a step back, he said. Listen to what God says. God hears the plans of the wicked and he laughs. There are those, David says, who pick up their swords and they intend to do others harm and yet the swords somehow come around and stick them in their own hearts. Evil. Evil has its own undoing written within its own DNA. So David says, don't fear. Wherever you're at, you can trust in God. And that's really his second point, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with everything you have. David is a writer who's trying to convey this, and, and so he, he uses lots of different phrases, or at least in the English translation, there are a, a number of different phrases that he gives to us to delight in the Lord. Randy, can you put those up? Yeah, he says, trust in the Lord. That's one of the phrases he used. Another phrase he says is, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, he says. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. In every, every way David can sense to urge us on, he says, whenever you, you find that you're afraid, be a person who trusts God. Because God is trustworthy. God is, is at, your, at your ready. You can rely upon him. As I was thinking about this sense of trust, another picture of my daughter, Kyrie. She's, she's my youngest daughter. I don't... Um, 
She's, she's my favorite youngest daughter. I've only got one of those. And this is the two of us at, uh, at Silver Dollar City. This was a, a couple years ago. She had gotten tall enough where she could ride one of their really big roller coasters, and she was so excited. And it's the roller coaster that shoots you off like at 60 miles an hour or something like that. And so we got in, we got in the roller coaster, and there's a sense of fear within her, right? But there's also a, a great sense of, of wonder and delight. And this time, she's not going down something all by herself. But she's got somebody beside her that she trusts, that she values, that she appreciates. Somebody who knows that there's a great adventure ahead. And so there is delight on her faith. There is like, there is an awesome adventure that I am in for. I don't really know what it's like, but there is an awesome adventure. So now, every time we go down to Silver Dollar City, that's one of the roller coasters she wants to go on. And the last time we were there, it was just she's like, come on, Dad, as many times as we can, we've got to go on this coaster. We've got to experience that sense of delight. David has the same idea about what it's like to live with God, that there is the delight that is open and available to us and that we can live in and walk in. Well, how do we walk in delight? How do we walk in the delight of God? One of the things that David suggests to us down in verse, well, it's down in the, the latter portion, down around verse 31, he says, those who, who walk in the delight of the Lord, they commit they commit themselves to the Lord's law. They, they memorize, or they work on memorizing and giving themselves to God daily. Um, a week ago, I had the privilege of, of doing a wedding for a young couple here at Schweitzer. And before we, had, we got to the place of a wedding, I'd asked them to put together a rule of life. I don't know if you've ever encountered a rule of life, but a rule of life essentially is a way in which a person or a couple or even a community can say, these are the things that we value. These are the people that we want to be. So I asked this young couple, I said, I showed them how to do it or showed them where they could find an example of a rule of life. And I said, um, put together a rule of life. So a week before they, their wedding, they sent me the rule of life. They said, this is the hardest writing assignment we've ever done. It was a one-page writing assignment. And they'd, they'd written it out. And on top of the rule of life, the first thing that they said they wanted to do was they wanted to give themselves to God in a spiritual way, in a spiritual fashion. And they wanted to do it as a couple, like, and they wanted to have a daily office. Now, this isn't them. This is, this is somebody who's at an office in a sense of prayer. I'm not really sure this is the daily office that they had in mind. This is kind of ironic. This is a little ironic picture, but... The, their, their sense of a daily office was, we're going to read Scripture together daily. And we're going to pray together daily. And we're going, to, we're going to attend worship. And we're going to serve together. We want to be people who delight in God, who take that sense of a daily office seriously. One of the other things that David says within the psalm, he says, if you want to delight in God, be generous. Um... And his sense of generosity, David's sense of generosity is, is this. His understanding is that we can be generous whether we have a number of gifts or we have few. Regardless of what we have, we can really be generous. This last week, um, 
Lynette Lewis was, was in the office. And I asked to see what Lynette had in her, in her hands. She had some things in her hand. I said, Lynette, what do you have there? And she said, oh, well, I've got a bunch of, of cards. And she opened them up. And um, LaDonna, this is why I said you'd be, you'd be interested in today. LaDonna Griner has a, has a purpose in life. And she's got a business called 21 Reasons to, to Say Thank You. And out of that business, she's produced these cards. And Lynette has purchased these cards. And they're just small little business cards. But she says, it is my joy when I go to a business, when I go to a place, to hand these cards out. And she, she wrote me the day after uh, describing this to me. She said, uh, the most meaningful response that I got from one of these cards was when I gave one, one of the first ones, to an x-ray technician after she had been very understanding and skillful in doing my mammogram. It was a few months after I had soldiers, um, my sh shoulder replaced, so my arm was very painful. When I returned a year later, I came back to the same tech, and I noticed this card tucked into the frame of a family photo. Lynette says she was very proud of the card and was happy that I returned so that she could tell me so. Now, giving out a card like that is not a grandiose expression of gratitude or generosity. It's a minor expression. And yet minor expressions of generosity begin to shape and change a person's day. And not just a person's day, but how they see the world. And we can all be generous. David says we can all be generous. Whether it's with our praise, whether it's with our our attitude, we can all be generous in some form or fashion. So when we do that, we begin to delight in God because God is generous towards us. One other thing David talks about and he mentions about how we can delight in God, he says God is somebody who is interested in justice. And we can be people who love justice. This last week, I'm sure you may have seen a picture that looks something like this. This was a picture that was taken, I think probably by, by a photographer standing on the Schweitzer side of, of sunshine and looking across the way. And a number of people, three, four hundred people gathered over in front of Senator Blunt's office because the reality is, is we've heard news about events on the border, about people that are coming to the border looking for a safe haven. And we've heard stories about how kids are displaced from their parents once they cross that border. And there's something, there's something that doesn't seem right about that, at least to some people. And maybe there's a lot of things that we don't know. But for many people who hear the news and look at the news, it seems like there's something out of sorts. There's some injustice that's taking place. And so a number of people from all kinds of different backgrounds gathered over there to try and lift up a voice, to try and say something about seeking justice. And yet, even as people gather, maybe in a way to protest or to march, even as people raise their voice or make a comment in social media, that in and of itself doesn't really 
get to the full sense of what God means by justice. Because what God intends for justice is to really put things to right, to see things not just uh, in a way in which we can express a wrong, but where we can see things come to a place of goodness and beauty and righteousness. I was, um, quite frankly, I was one of those persons that gathered across the street because I do sense in my own spirit that things are out of sort and they're not as they should be or could be. And I really don't know exactly what the next step is, but I know that to seek the kind of justice that God longs for in our world, we have to do more than be people who raise a voice. But we have to be people who are willing to open our hearts and our arms and our homes when there are those in this world who are seeking a safe place to thrive and to flourish. It's not enough. It's not enough, I don't think, to simply say that there are wrongs and they should stop. But we have to do more if we're going to walk in the ways of God's justice. And so I'm challenged to find out what that next thing is, what that more is. And maybe you are too. So David looks at this world in Psalm 37 as somebody who's lived a while, as somebody who's wise, And he takes note of us. He takes note of the things that we say, our expressions on our faces. He takes note of us when our shoulders are kind of drawn in and our backs are hunched over a little bit. He takes note of us because God takes note of us. And he says to us in robust ways, do not fear but delight in God. Do not fear, but delight in God. Some of you this morning, you can identify with David in that spot. You've had that sense of perspective. You've seen God's hand at work in your own life. My question, my challenge to you today would be, who do you see that needs that same kind of encouragement? Who do you need to draw up alongside of and say, friends, You don't need to fear, but you need to trust in God. Most of us have about five um, fingers on five fingers on one hand, don't we? And about five fingers on the other hand. I say that because I grew up with a great grandfather that had a couple digits missing on both hands. So um, you may you may be in that place. But imagine, if you will, if, if you could take a pen and write out five things. One thing on each of your fingers on one hand. How God's been good to you, kind to you. How God's provided in some form or fashion. And you don't have a whole lot of space, so you just got to write one word or something that describes one story. And then imagine if you've got on your other hand five days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If in the midst of those days you could just tell one of those stories to somebody that you come across, Just take one of those stories and tell it to somebody that you come across who needs to hear that sense from God 
Don't be afraid. Trust in God. Some of you can do that because God's put that story deep within you. It's deep in your heart. And you need to give voice to it. You need to let that story flow. And while some of us can walk in David's shoes, some of us are like David's recipients. We're like Kyrie rolling down that slide. And what we see in life, what we see in that moment, we're really afraid of. And we need to listen to those who've walked with God for a while. We need to hear the voice of God speak through the pages of Scripture. Take delight in me. Walk with me. Trust me. Have faith. You want to put those two pictures up there side by side? Which face are you? Take delight in God. See where he leads us. Amen.